0: Uh, my friend Kelly's going to share some of the, the wisdom that she's learned from Jesus. We're going through this series all summer long, uh, slow to speak, walking in the way of Jesus. What has it meant for, her to walk, meant for Kelly to walk in the way of Jesus and trust Jesus with the faith of a little child? So she's going to share, and before she does, I'm just going to pray for her. Jesus, would you fill Kelly with your spirit, with peace, with confidence, that what she has to say is what we need to hear. Um, Give her um,
1: peace as she shares. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hello, everyone. I was sitting in my counselor's office, and my counselor said, Kelly, it's getting really difficult. You are not safe, and your children are not safe. You need to make some hard choices. He had tears in his eyes. As he was speaking, my mind was racing. I couldn't see a way out. I couldn't think of which way to go. Every way seemed like the wrong way. I was backed into a corner. He said to me, Kelly, you are just gonna have to grab onto Jesus as tight as you can. You are going to have to learn how to be weak. And I looked at him with all seriousness, tears rolling down my face, and I just didn't grasp what this meant. I couldn't make sense of it. I had always been strong as a child, and I had been taught to be strong. How was I going to do this? I didn't understand. I would soon see that God was inviting me to become dependent and weak, weaker than I'd ever been. He was inviting me to a childlike dependence on him. The counselor read this to me, 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. And the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness. I still, I just couldn't understand or get this. My strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength made perfect in weakness. What did this mean? What was God saying to me? I went home that night and I cried out to the Lord. Please Lord, I need your help. I was brokenhearted, exhausted, and afraid. How was I going to do all this? How was it possible that it would all work out? Despite all my confusion, I knew I heard the Lord speak to my heart through my counselor. I knew he was right. We had to get safe. So that evening, I announced my decision to leave my unsafe marriage which meant I was losing our family home I would have to move into a one-bedroom apartment with my two children because I was financially ruined I would possibly have to endure courts for years pay lawyers I didn't have money for And I couldn't even get help because on paper it said I made way too much money. I had to leave my church community that I had been at for many years through my faith journey. I didn't have anybody but my counselor. I couldn't ask for help from my biological family because they lived three hours away and my parents just lost their son, my brother, one week prior. We were all grieving his death. I had to accept my in-laws decision to disown me because I didn't have any of the truth what was happening to us. I was going to be losing significant time with my children and I just couldn't see how this was fair. I was threatened daily and afraid. I now was known as the Christian wife who couldn't work out her marriage. So everything dear to my heart was being taken away. I cried out to God, how can this be? Lord, I did my best. I am your faithful servant, how can this be? I questioned whether God really even loved me at this point. So I just realized that I had no other choice but to surrender my heart to God. Day by day, I turned to Jesus. I wrestled with him minute by minute. I sat before him weak. And then eventually, over many months of crying out and struggling, I realized that maybe this weakness thing was a gift. I made a commitment to be weak, and I started to enjoy being weak. I had to let go and let God I prayed, I worshipped, I studied his word daily, all day long, I fasted, and every time fear came to me, I repeated that scripture over and over in my head. I became like a little child, something I would never have chosen on my own. I stand before you today and say, his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in weakness. In my weakness, this is what our God did. He protected my children and kept them safe. He brought four of his churches together, four different denominations, and helped me with my daily needs. Even though I wasn't even attending a church community, 90% 90% of my patients were strong, elderly Christians. They began praying for me as I began trusting them with my story, and God even used me in their lives in my weakness. He moved banks and courts. He even changed tax laws so that I would receive extra money in, the bank account, in my bank account right when I needed it. He laid it on on, uh, the hearts of a Christian family to lend me the down payment for my family home so my children didn't have to move to a strange place in the midst of all that they were losing. And my biggest concern as a mom, the Lord gave me full custody of my children. What I have learned his grace is sufficient. His strength is made known in my weakness. He provided everything I need and kept every promise I read in his word. I literally watched the holy of holies fight my battles for me. I walked into a fiery furnace and I was not touched he fought off every fiery dart that was shot at me by the evil one. Does something like this ring true for you? Wherever you are, I know we do not choose to become weak like little children, but this is how he gives us faith, and he shows us his faithfulness. I would not have chosen this path, but it was his path. Now I'm grateful for this path. I know Jesus as my father, as my husband, as my best friend. My protector and my provider, despite my ongoing trials. I praise him for his sufficient grace, and strength in my weakness. I will continue to boast in my weaknesses because I know how his strength and grace is made known. Whoever you are, whoever you are right now, whatever your weakness, I want you to know his grace is sufficient for you. His strength is made known and perfect in weakness. Praise to our God.
0: So Abby's with me this morning There was a time when if you saw me, you would say, there's a guy that needs a lot of help. Um, I'm better now, but I still need a little bit of help. So Abby's gonna (laughs) give me a hand in a minute. Last week, we had a children's message involving sponges and water. After the children's message was over, surprise, surprise, Mark tried to uh, get all the kids to settle down. And after Mark began the main sermon, there was one young boy who didn't sit down like the rest of the children. He was persistent uh, to stay right up beside Mark because he still wanted to be part of the message. What were you thinking when that happened? What would you have done if you were Mark? Do you remember what Mark did? He paused what he was doing to speak directly to the young boy. Mark interrupted his sermon to engage the boy so the boy would know that he was important and his voice mattered. Was that appropriate? Like, who does that? Jesus would, Jesus did. Mark 10:13-16 reads,
1: and they were, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was
0: indignant,
1: indignant, and said to them, Let the children come to me; do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God should, like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them.
0: Thank you, Abby. Thanks. The theme we are teaching this summer is wisdom. and I was drawn to Jesus' wisdom to the hurried. Um, Today I'm speaking on what rest and being unhurried can look like. So listen to this verse again with that thought in mind. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them." When Jesus spoke these words, uh, he was already well known. Crowds gathered around him to hear his teachings and ask for blessings. It was in the midst of this situation amongst crowds of people, kind of like being in the middle of a sermon, when Jesus paused what he was doing to receive the children. And he didn't just receive them. He took them up into his arms and blessed them. Jesus didn't just bid them to the front of the line, but he actually held them. Imagine Jesus with a child in his arms, taking time to talk to him, ask them questions, as any of us would do with a child in our arms. In the midst of commotion, God is unhurried with his children. So what is Jesus trying to teach us here? Is this a lesson in how to act? or is this a lesson in how to receive? I'm gonna share a bit of my story with you because I've learned that stories are important. There is a kind of comfort knowing that we're not the only ones struggling, that we need not fear or be ashamed to share with others when life seems really difficult. We can learn from sharing these stories, learn ways to find peace and comfort in the midst of struggle, learn where to look to for hope, I'm the second oldest of six siblings. Both of my parents made some poor decisions when I was very young. The result being my father left home and left town. Things were tough for a single mother with all those kids. And then circumstances occurred that had the three old of us, three oldest of us children sent to live out of town with my dad. First dad is suddenly gone. And then suddenly I'm living with dad in a new town and attending a new school. But now mom and the rest of my family are gone. That summer, dad told me he was gonna do some work on a farm and that I'd go with him. Now, I grew up um, in St. Catharines, directly across from the GM plant on Ontario Street. So I only knew city life. Um, And now at eight years old, I was gonna visit a farm for the first time. And farms are the place of dreams for eight-year-old kids who've never seen them before. Last summer, John and Jeanette invited us all out to lunch at their place and uh, took us on a hay ride. Still, even as an adult, going out to a farm is a whole lot of fun. But back to my story. The people that owned the farm had an older teenage son. So I was paired up with him to be shown around the farm as my dad was working. The day was going around long, quite normal. And I think I was just so happy to not only Beyond the farm, but to kind of have a new friend to show me around. I had just changed schools, left all my friends, moved far away from my mother and younger siblings, and I guess it's only natural that I'd be yearning for a new connection. Then the boy said he wanted to show me something, but we had to climb up into the hayloft to be shown around, or we had to climb up to the hayloft of the barn. And of course, I was curious. Being eight years old, you're curious about everything in the world. So we climbed up to the top of the barn, and that's when the scene really started to go sideways. What that teenage boy began to show and do, you're just not supposed to do. But the thing was, I had no idea what was happening. No one had ever warned me about this type of thing. And I was just eight years old, curious about everything and yearning for someone to pay attention to me. So it took me a bit to figure out what was happening. Took me a bit to figure out what was happening was not just strange, but it was bad. Then this boy convinced me I couldn't tell anyone what had happened. And he didn't do that by making me afraid that he would hurt me or my family. This boy convinced me that if anyone found out what had happened, that my own father would beat me. That my father, the person I should run to for protection, was actually the person I should fear. And because of the rejection I had already felt knowing my father had left once, because of that I believed him. So I fled the barn, thankfully fled without any violence, but I still fled with this sense of shame, with this feeling of just being dirty because I felt like I chose to go up into that hayloft because I should have known better. And I knew I couldn't tell anyone what had happened and certainly not my father. And I didn't tell anyone. I moved one more time with my dad after that. Then he had a nervous breakdown or something and he's leaving me again, but this time for the East Coast. And now I'm back with mom and the moving continues with a couple new addresses and a couple new schools within a year or so. Imagine, four schools and five addresses in two years. Still, I'm hiding what happened in that barn. I'm learning that I can't really tell anyone anything. I don't trust family. Friends always disappear. I'm packing all those memories and emotions tightly away because I don't really matter anyway. Sometimes it can feel like the world just hurts. So what's my story have to do with being unhurried? I spent a lifetime running after that. I ran towards things that I thought would help me forget. Then I ran, trying to get money for those things. I ran from bad relationship to bad relationship. Then I ran along from drama to drama, until one day I did pause. I paused long enough to realize that all these things were going to kill me. Then I just changed direction. I started hurrying along a new path, the path towards what society calls a normal life. Maybe you and your spouse, oh sorry, hurrying can be like a bandage that we place over our pain. Maybe you and your spouse aren't getting along well instead of just dealing with it. You spend more time at work, get busy with the kids, fill your life up with activities. Just slapping on that bandage called hurrying, convince yourself you're too busy and hope everything heals itself. Many of us have that bandage of hurrying over our hearts. We have a place of hurt and all we really know how to do is slap that bandage on and keep moving. We can get so busy with life, work, children or busy hiding that pain in alcohol and drugs or we even just get busy serving at church and we hope to just forget about the hurt. Hope that the bandage of hurrying will stop the pain, make it go away. That's what I did. I hurried to Towards a normal life of work and family, I worked hard and long, I married and had a child, then another. I tried to be super dad, creating the family life I had always yearned for. And I had a lot of fun along the way, but I never slowed down. I never paused to think about those past pains. I just slapped the bandage of hurrying over those wounds, never thinking about the hurt little boy that still lived inside me. I left those wounds to fester. And that festering resulted in regular retreats into my old bad habits. No matter how much I changed my way of living, I couldn't quite kick some of those bad habits. I was still stuck in my old way of thinking. And I never once paused to think about God, until one day I did. When I did start thinking about God, there was a coworker I turned to with questions. And this woman didn't just pause to have a quick chat with me. She would stop everything, turn her chair to face me, and give me her full attention. This woman stopped hurrying for me, just as Jesus did for the little children. She interrupted her life, took time to answer questions, offered me books to read, invited me to church. She took the time to teach me who Jesus was, why he died, and what God's grace truly means. Yet still, I couldn't quite take the bandage off. I could see it, but kind of like a child not wanting their parents to remove a literal bandage, I was afraid it would hurt. So as a Christian, I just kept on hurrying, but now I was hurrying through church and ministry, trying to find the right church, joining small groups, volunteering and leading men's groups. I had my ups, along with some very big falls, but I never stopped hurrying I didn't want to slow down and peel back the bandage of hurrying to see what was going on underneath. Then I grew weary. And like Mark spoke about at the start, I just ended up right here at the church in the park. Shortly after, I met Mark. He was the newly appointed pastor. And Mark asked me if I'd like to meet him for a coffee. That was a new thing for me. I'd never just stopped to chat with a pastor. During that coffee, Mark asked me a question, something like, so what's your story? And it was like, bam, like the floodgates opened, and what you heard this morning, plus a whole lot more, just came pouring out. And I was just talking and weeping. And next thing you know, almost two hours had gone by and the coffee shop was closing. That was the day. That day was the very first time I ever spoke about what happened up in that barn. I'd been to counseling for things. I'd gone deep in men's ministry, but I had never been able to vocalize that event before. We can never tell when someone is just ready to open up, and I'm so thankful that Mark paused his life that afternoon to simply listen to me, because that was the day the bandage of hurrying came off of my heart, the day I really started to peel it back and examine what I'd been hurrying away from. Mark's time with me was a gift, but I also had to realize sorry. You know, I practice and practice and practice and you still lose it in front of everyone. (laughs) I also began to learn that day that it's okay to receive. Up until that point, I knew how to give. I knew how to hurry around and try to be a good dad, hurry and work hard, hurry and help others through ministry. But inside of me was the little boy that never thought he had a voice this little boy that thought he wasn't worthy of just being cared for, that I wasn't even worthy of having friends. Mark's time with me was a gift, and I had to realize I was also worthy of that gift. So how do I know this? How do I know I was worthy? Because there was a day when Jesus stopped everything and said, let the children come. He said that to you this morning, come to me. See, when Jesus welcomed the little children, Jesus was giving us an earthly picture of what it looks like to enter in the kingdom of God the Father, of what it looks like in to enter into a relationship with God the Father. It's something you receive. It's all over the Bible. Listen to this. John 1.12 reads, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God gives us an identity. We are children of God. We who receive Jesus, we who believe in the name of Jesus, are children of God. And this picture Jesus gives us is of him with open arms saying, Let the children come to me. Not let only the good children come to me. Just let the children come to me. I go to Jesus as that little eight-year-old boy. I go to him with all that pain and loneliness and feelings of shame. And I see him. I see Jesus there with his arms open saying, Come to me. I go to him. I go to Jesus in prayer and he meets me there. It is Jesus that I went to once that bandage of hurrying peeled away and I saw that all those, after all those years my wound had never healed. And Jesus blessed me. He laid his hands on me as he did the little children in our Bible passage and I heard him say, it's okay, we'll get through this together. Many of us have wounds often inflicted in childhood, that we just slap a bandage over and move on, allowing the wounds to fester into anxiety, anger, low self-esteem, wounds that fester into addictions and toxic relationships or marital discord. There is healing available for your wounds. It is when we stop hurrying and simply rest in Jesus that true healing begins. When you can truly understand that you are a much loved child of God that it is you that Jesus is calling to when he says, Come to me. That is when your healing begins. Come to him now with none of this stuff that the world has burdened you with. Come to him and shed the shame, shed that guilt. Jesus already paid the debt for us. Come to him as that much-loved child and simply rest. Come to Jesus who has shown us that he is waiting to take you into his arms and bless you. Come to him and find true rest. If this is what you're yearning for, but you don't know where to start, that's what the Village Church is here for. We are here to pray for you, walk with you, to just get to know you. As we all figure this out together, because we're all the same here, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But through faith in Christ Jesus, we are redeemed and can be presented as holy and blameless to our Father. I also know that our hearts can want to go to God there can be a block in our mind that it's difficult to overcome. Might you have a block that's keeping you from God today? For me, the block was hell. I didn't want to believe in God because I knew that the only place for a guy like me was hell. But that was a lie. That was a lie. Just like the one that boy in the barn had me believe. He had, me be- he had me believe that I couldn't go to my father because I would be punished. I know now that if I just run to my father and said, Daddy, this is what happened. I'm so sorry. That he would have just picked me up and held me and loved me. Our heavenly father is like that. You can run to him in prayer and just say, I'm sorry and his arms will be open because you are his beloved child. Please don't allow a lie to keep you from your Heavenly Father. I'm going to close in the prayer, but it's a very special prayer. It's something you pray from the heart. If you're new here and feel your heart wanting to pray this, then pray. If you've attended church your entire life, yet your heart is still yearning to say these words, then pray. I just ask that we all close our eyes and pray from the innermost part of ourselves. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name I pray. Amen.